0: Welcome to the Millwork Leaders Podcast. I'm Tim Tritton. Thanks for joining us. I have conversations with leaders in the wood manufacturing industry. We'll hear their backstories and learn from their experiences. If you're a fan of the stories of how people drive their businesses and the lessons they've learned, please jump in. Today I'm joined by Tom Blake Jr. from OCH. Tom, thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here, Tim. It's yeah, man. Be fun. I'm excited about this. Absolutely, I've, I've been a fan of your business and you, more importantly. So, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I think that what I want to do is I just want to set the stage, and that's what I want to do with all these episodes. Is just kind of understand where you came from and how you got to be where you are, and learn a little bit about OCH and how you all do business. Um, so to that end, could you just tell me, were you raised, we're currently in Harlan, Indiana.
1: Yeah, we are. So I'm actually from Ohio. Okay. So I grew up in a little town called Defiance, Ohio. Okay. That's right. Their claim to fame is they're right between Toledo and Fort Wayne. Okay. And so my dad, um, he was a school teacher and we lived there. And then he, he actually was, started the business that, you know, that I work in. Okay. Um, so he was a school teacher for it was 25 years. And he had a side hustle. He was like the original guy that actually had a side gig. Okay. And it wasn't one of these, like, because I, I think a lot of times you always see, it's, you got to have a side hustle and it's passive income. and yeah, it's yeah. You don't have to work that hard at it. And But that's not the case. It not, wasn't the case with him. So what, what happened was when he was a teacher, he had the summers off all the time. And he would, I think, try he tore down barns and then he got into antiques. And so he was selling antiques doing shows on the weekends and what have you and then he um met cross paths with a gentleman and there was a large retail customer that this guy had an in with and he said hey could I uh get you into this company and my dad at the time was like I don't know that company's name but sure so he ends up I think they were looking for wagons or something and um then one thing led to another it's like well could you could you make these wagons and he was like, yeah, I think I could. Cause he had stripped and refinished furniture too as another side gig. And then one thing led to another and the business just kind of grew off of that essentially.
0: Wow. And so when was that? It
1: was 1991. Okay. So right. I was, I was, I think two or three years old okay. when he first got involved with that. But yeah.
0: And so it was a <laughs> kind of a slow build from there or did it,
1: it was relatively rapid. I mean, because in 2000, I remember 2000, 2002, I mean, we, we, they had, you know, he, he was, uh, had like kind of an ad hoc partnership with a, a gentleman. It wasn't like a true partnership. They were working together and, um, they had, you know, there was some large buildings and they were doing pretty good sales really. So it was like 10 years later, they were really doing pretty well.
0: Oh, awesome. And so this point he's done, he's, that's his full time.
1: That's his yeah. full time. Yeah. So he retired from teaching in like, I, I want to say 90, he still worked and taught. Too, which was interesting. So it was like 1993, I think, was
0: yeah. when that happened. So. Okay, interesting. Well, it's, um, you know, the teaching skill set was probably useful in running a business. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think they, so, oh, yeah. I, you see it every day, right? Bringing guys in and, and um, they know nothing.
1: They don't. And I think that, you know, in, in today's modern society that we live in, um, you know, training is so important. And I think, like, a lot of what people don't really know um, like things they should learn in school, they're not actually learning. So they come, <laughs> right. like we get to work with them and it's like, well, I, like, I, I don't want to jump ahead of here, but it's like the tape measure thing. Like yeah. who would be surprised at the number of people that can't read a tape measure and not that you should learn that in school. Although I did to a certain extent, right. Learned how to read a tape measure at school. But I think there's a lot of people that like there's skills they're actually missing out on that they don't actually have when they get into the workplace.
0: Exactly, and let's put a bookmark on that because I want to kind of chronologically follow this. But <laughs> they, that's exactly where I want to go with this because skills you assume people have, they just don't. Yeah, yeah so we have got to figure that out. Big time. Yeah, yeah. So, at what point did you kind of get involved
1: in OCH? What's interesting about that is that you know, with the, the it being, we always say it's a family business. Although I'm actually the only family member that works here. Actually, and sorry, my my cousin works here as well. Um, it, it, every summer when I was a kid, we worked, uh, in the summertime, my dad had us working. Maybe that wasn't legal, but we did work here. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I
0: don't see that as a problem.
1: He had us sweeping yeah. the floors, um, you know, cutting things sometimes. And it wasn't anything like major. I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't like, killing us or anything, but we did work here in the summer, every summer. I have a brother who worked with us as well here. And, um, that was kind of what we did, and then after when I after I graduated high school, I actually came to work here full time.
0: Oh wow. So, okay, so you went right in. Yeah, right in. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't have been prepared to even think about that if you'd not seen how the operations worked. And I mean, you could have started entry, right? But, sure. Yeah, right? absolutely. I, I assume when you, after high school you didn't just go back
1: to sweeping floors. No, no. I mean, we whatever. did like different things, like different tasks that we we you know tackle and stuff. So. So i guess to set the stage so people understand what could you just describe what och does so we are for years we always said we we made store fixtures yeah that's what we, we're a store fixture manufacturer and then as time's gone on we've we've tried to i think create more distinctions and say well really what what does that even mean you know and a lot of people are like is that shelves Do you guys make shelves it's like it's kind of hard to explain but what we've kind of summarize ourselves as a company anymore is where we call ourselves a, a job shop or a, a um, what is it it's a job shop or we're contract manufacturer so what people do is they come to us or sorry companies come to us and say hey we need to manufacture this but we don't have the equipment nor the people to carry this out so we contract it with you so nothing we make is proprietary we don't have patents on anything or anything like that so that's kind of more or less what we are at the end and we focus in woodworking. We do have metal capabilities, but it's a lot of networking that we do with that aspect of right, it. Right, so you don't
0: fabricate metal necessarily? Well, not in-house, but right. as a, with a partner company, we do do that. Gotcha. So. so people understand. I mean, your operation is, I mean, one of your plants is about as automated as it gets and as sophisticated as it gets in terms of general, say, casework
1: yeah. manufacturing. I yeah, mean, absolutely. From From a woodworking standpoint, I do think that we're, pretty automated yep. right from the equipment that's available today to purchase and utilize right
0: um, and I and I see that I mean in between your two plants I mean there's kind of nothing you guys can't do
1: absolutely I mean and that, the other thing about our business that I think is really important and which it's kind of made us who we are is we've really taken networking very seriously so we network with a lot of subcontractors and, and just people within our region of the state that we're in big time
0: so in an effort to facilitate getting projects done or to grow business?
1: Um, so a little of both. So an effort to get projects done that, so from from a capacity standpoint, so capacity is really big, especially in the, in, in the job shop world, right? So it's, you know, and it's hard to gauge too. And I always tell people we're not building F-150s, so we don't really have, Um, I mean, there's tack time that you try to get right where you try to say, okay, I know it's going to take me, let's say an hour or two hours to do X, Y, and Z, but sometimes that's hard to gauge from like an average time perspective. So I, I, people are probably thinking, no, you got to know how long it takes, but I, I just about guarantee you, Anybody I've ever worked with never knows how long it actually takes to do something. I mean, obviously probably some, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's easier to gauge perhaps, but from what we make, we don't just make, let's say cabinets, Sometimes we're making ladders, or um, we make. Sometimes we make really weird cabinets, or we. It's just a lot of like architectural millwork is another term that comes to mind when I think of what our company does, um, in terms of just bespoke displays, batch size one stuff is really kind of, you know, generalizing what we do and why it's difficult. I think to gauge some of the stuff that we do. Exactly.
0: So it's hard to. I and I spent good number of years in that manufacturing world when even if you understand that you're making a base cabinet it's there's so many variables there, really there is there's yeah. product mix there's quantities there's all the things that that make it unique and so it is hard to understand and then you only truly understand it when you're done
1: yeah yeah you do hindsight's twenty twenty, right so <laughs> right did I one. make
0: money? I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: right. it, that's And that's the thing, you know, in terms of, too, from the business standpoint of, let's say, st- when we started out and to where we've gotten to today, there's been, you know, a lot of reinvention of ourselves that we've had to do, right? So it's a lot of, it, it, you know, and, and we, there's a colleagues of mine, we make the joke that we operate as almost like a startup every year to a certain extent, right? So it's like, we never really have certain processes in place. And we've tried to change that because we realize it's not actually a great way to operate. Um, so so what do you mean when you, so elaborate on that when you say you don't really
0: have processes in place. Well,
1: so w- when I say what we act like, we operate like a startup. And essentially what I mean by that is, you know, every year, because there's a lot of bidding that you do. Right? So you're bidding on projects. And depending on what job you get and the mix of products that you're bringing to the table, I feel like each one of those has to have different streams of execution that you have to complete. Right. And so there's always like there's certain people that it's like, hey, this guy does really well with this product. And then so and so does really good with this product in terms of like, let's say, project management or building of the product itself or the manufacturing aspect of it or the cutting and so we're always just flip flopping around of who's doing what, and so we've tried to make it more process driven as time's gone on as a company
0: sure so it's interesting you say that because when I think of OCH and the conversations you and I have had, I think of a company that understands the process of manufacturing as well as any that I deal with. so it's interesting to hear you say many times we're we're just we're flipping around and and maybe that's just that th- this business necessitates that your product mix in particular (coughs) drives that. But I think that um, I guess maybe I do see people getting into traps where they they're not flexible, right? This is how we do it because we do it this way. We've always done it this way. We're not going to change it. And so then you're beholden to X margin or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we, you know, we try to take in-depth dives into why are we doing something this way specifically? And then we say to ourselves, is this the best possible way we could do it? But there's this aspect of, you don't want to sit around and think about something and then you have that analysis paralysis where you don't actually execute. So a lot of times there's this aspect of, let's execute this and then we'll change it as we go on. And so there there is a little bit of that where we're moving things around just from, again, from product mixes of stuff that we get awarded to manufacture by customers that we've been on products for. Right.
0: Okay. I get that. So to shift the focus back from OCH to you a little bit, I know it's probably not where you want to exactly be, but what I'm interested in understanding is you really seem to have that ability to deep dive and which is what your company wants you to do and how you want to run your company. How do you, how did you learn those skills? How did you kind of come to that? And because I see a lot of people say, well, I don't know. This software is crazy. I can't figure it out. And, and um, where did you kind of start on that mentality? And, and it's, it's all the things. It's understanding business and how to run a business. It's also understanding software and the functions of management.
1: I, I think a lot of it has always been, um, again, I've, I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of really um, smart people that I've learned from. And um, I think that, again, networking's huge. Um, working with people and just being curious, you know, it's generally curious, um, deeply curious, I guess, to a certain extent, right? And then, um, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough too to grow grow up in an era of the personal computer, right? So yeah. uh, it, we're living in this interesting world where we all have a lot of access right at our fingertips, and you can leverage that if you, I guess, Google deep enough. You know and get on the right forums maybe and then just know that it's going to take a lot a lot of time and then you build on that as time goes on i guess too
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i see that it takes though it, i just i'm I'm thinking and trying to formulate the, the the question it's and maybe it's just like you say it's just being curious and and maybe that's the part that i see people kind of struggle with and the, and the fear of just saying well we're just going to figure this out. We're going to move forward and we're not going to be paralyzed by indecision. We're going to figure out the best we can and move forward. But I also like, we've touched a couple of times on networking, which seems to be really important because to me it's connecting people and learning from people. And, and, um, and while you may initially network, say to get a project done, what turns up is really you all work together to, to develop new business. And
1: uh, yeah, I, I, I think too, then I'm always generally inspired by everybody that I really meet. Um, So for example, there's actually a gentleman that kind of works with us as a contractor now. And when I, when I met this gentleman, I think 10 years ago, I was so inspired by his skill set and the way he approached problems that I like, I try to imitate a lot of that too, to a certain extent. Right. So it's like, I try to get in that mindset of how those guys think that are smarter than me. And then I just try to adopt those skills.
0: Okay. So what kind of skills does he have? He was like a CAD guy, big CAD guy, big
1: software guy. Yeah. So,
0: so on the software side, To me, you're almost dead in the water in in today's world with lack of skilled craftsmen, labor shortages, being able to make the most of what you have without the software side of it. And you all kind of have a unique approach to the way you integrate software into your business in in some regards. um, It's not a traditional just CAD CAM solution pushed onto the floor.
1: Right. Yeah. I think we try to leverage a lot of tools. Yeah. A lot of tools that some of them are expensive, some of them aren't, and we try to utilize them. And so, as we were having a conversation with a customer the other day, and I think one of the things that we had talked about was like this digital transformation that's kind of occurred. And we tried to jump on that digital transformation bandwagon. I would say ten years ago, we tried to implement things. And I think what the digital transformation does essentially is allows people to make faster decisions. Was kind of the approach, right? Mm-hmm. So. And then with that digital transformation, with the faster decision-making, I think there has to be faster communication. So that's where I think a lot of the software comes into play. It's like, from, let's say you're doing CAD or whatever, you need to draw something up really quick. But well, we use like four or five different drawing programs. Right. You know? which I think are, are, you know, some, some, a lot of guys that we bring into to work with us. They're, the, so we have guys that come in. that really like that. They're like, awesome. You know, you get to play with all these cool toys. And then there's some guys that are like, well, I'm only good at this one and they only want to focus on maybe one piece of it. Right. Which I guess teach their own, I suppose.
0: I suppose. I want to know all of it, but it's also like, we spoke before this, it's like a perishable skill to me. It's like, I've got some video audio workstation programs that like, if I don't stay in them, I just like, uh, I don't even know where to start with it. Yeah. And, yeah. So I think that's true of the, the CAD cam softwares and all the other softwares that you need because it's a complex world. And man, um, you know, we deal from a company perspective, you know, we deal in software solutions and it's tough. Yeah, it is. It, it really is to to wade through and navigate because there's not a it's not a plug and play solution.
1: I don't think it is, and and will it ever be that way? Is the question? It's it's like the theory of uh, everything, right? Yeah. For software, <laughs> right? Exactly. I don't know if there is one.
0: I, I don't know. I I know that a lot of people want to contend that there is, but I yeah. I don't see it because it has to be unique.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: Yeah. So, your philosophy is just we'll use anything necessary.
1: Anything necessary to help our customers solve problems, I think is the, and to help us solve problems for our customers at the end of the day. So when you look
0: at that, what's the thought? I mean, primarily you're, you're, it's how can we best serve our
1: customer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, every time we look at software, it's again, it's the customer aspect. It's the internal aspect. And, And don't get me wrong. There's a, there's an aspect of costing too, right? So Let's say there's a CAM CAD CAM software out there that's specifically for the woodworking industry, and it's relatively expensive, like thirty thousand a seat. Let's say, yep. but what if you could get that done at four thousand a seat? It's like, it's, and then you can have it become more ubiquitous in your organization, so everybody's using it. Right. So there's that aspect that you we do try to consider too as well. Right? Yeah. So maybe you give up on. A small
0: piece of functionality if it becomes more of a holistic solution
1: yeah absolutely i mean so i think a lot of guys too they get really hung up on i need this software and it th- their promise that it's going to solve a lot of their problems but it, it, it to get to the point where it does solve the problems is a, a, quite a maze perhaps to get to right um, it's 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 a sales guy might be really good at selling that and saying it can do X Y and Z, and then you're it can, but it's like what's the is it an efficient pathway maybe?
0: Yeah, and the efficient in? pathway is different for every user. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. What are you focused on? Yeah. Like so, for example, um, uh, we use SolidWorks actually. That's one of our big and and uh, you know what's funny is like that's pretty common CAD software. Sure. But it's not that from what I've seen, well, yes and no, I, I've seen it used, um, in our industry, but not as often as you'd think it's, it's, it's like a lot of metal guys like it. And right. Like that. But there's other cats, there's other softwares. It's like, <clears throat> well, it promises you can put the dowel holes in the board. It's Like, well, you, you can do that in SOLIDWORKS too. I mean, you don't need. <laughs>
0: right. And I think that's probably because, you know, guys like me and my previous existence running a shop we don't want to think about it Whereas, like tell me how to drop a base cabinet in yeah and i want all the machining there yeah um maybe that wasn't the best solution
1: maybe it is i don't know it just depends i i, I don't know it, it yeah it, it's whatever is fastest too. to a certain extent like whatever is the fastest th- way you can execute right so if that's what you need i guess then it's not a bad solution right
0: well, and I would say that given your product mix, it's it's such a variable solution that it has to be something you're completely familiar with on a regular basis. It's absolutely.
1: So it's like we we're not like I said, we're not typically making box cabinets, although we do, and nothing against people that do make box cabinets, but sometimes we're making ladders yeah. or tables. You can't so the the CAD software it's like you can't draw up tables in a box cabinet software. Right, 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 right. But again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's why we have to integrate so many different types of software to the, our product mix, I suppose. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I want to get back to the software in a little bit because, you know, we've talked about different solutions you have and the way that you use software to manage inventory and people and all these things. And so I'd, I'd like to get back to that. But one of the things that we, I didn't want to pass by, and we're kind of like when we talked about the early part of your career, I say everybody has, I'm going to call it tuition, and it's it's a hard lesson you've learned in the early part of your t- career, and so that tuition is the price you paid uh, however you learned, whatever you learned. So can you think of anything that maybe an example of how early in your career, like, man, did I learn that the hard way? And, uh,
1: I, I, there's been, I, I you know, I, I heard a saying the other day was something like, if something bad happens to you, you can let it define you. You can let it uh, destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you, right? Yeah. But there has been failures that, <laughs> right. we, that that I've had that have really humbled me quite a bit, especially from an accountability perspective, where I've let's say been tasked or in charge of something, and then that thing went south, and it's like it's really embarrassing, and and then when there's money involved, yep. and it's like it's even worse, right? Yeah. So th- a lot of those things that have happened over the years, um, I think, have been the tuition, perhaps that we've, that we've, that I've paid, you know.
0: Well, I think if you're in business at all, I mean, if you're doing anything right, there's going to be some wrong that's happened. Because oh yes, yeah. you won't have you've never gotten to the right without it.
1: So. Absolutely, and, and I think the worst is when, when you let like a customer down too. Oh, know? right. That's always the worst, and then you like. Re- I try not to take I mean I do take it personally I don't want to say I try not to take it personally because I do it's like I was you know somebody trusted me to do something and then it went south it's like oh man I know and the biggest thing with that is a lot of it's been just like you know not hitting delivery dates or you know failing in terms and not communicating correctly so I think that a lot of that has changed me as like dealing with clients and, and customers is like over communicating even if you're annoying to your customer, like it's better. <laughs> I think it's better just to just over communicate.
0: Absolutely. Them. Right. Because the, it's, um, it's always easier to set the expectation up front. And if you see something coming off the rails, just call it out yeah, then. Big time. Don't wait and let it be a surprise for everybody. Cause everybody needs time to react to whatever the situation is. So yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. I, I see project managers make that mistake all the time. Yeah. It's like, brother, just tell me, yeah. let's, let's get over this and we can move forward. Yeah. But, yeah. It is irritating, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I pride myself on taking everything personally. Yeah. What I'm really crappy about and I'm getting better. My wife will tell you is, um, not taking that home. And yeah, then, yeah. And then absolutely. laying it on their shoulders. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I, I've got to work on that, but no, I think, um, I think it's okay to say you take it personally because if you care about what you're doing, that's going to make you
1: really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. So,
0: so, Along those lines, and how would you define success? I mean, when I look at OCH, to me, it's from the outside, you have an operation that is visibly successful. And when I'm out anywhere in Indiana, people will bring up OCH as a definition of success. But how do you define it?
1: Yeah, it's, I think that one of, the, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think about it quite that often. I, I never think to myself, are we successful Uh, At all, And I I don't ever use those words. I always try to think of things in terms of, you know, are are we satisfying our customers? And are the people that work with us happy to a certain extent, right? Or, you know, like, I think I really cherish the people I work with. And I think that, you know, at our company, we have really great teams of people that we work with. And I, I think when I was a younger guy, I probably did have a bit of an ego where I wanted to be the like, be the big shot to a certain extent. But I think that as I've gotten a little bit older, I, I think it's better to kind of share in those wins as a team to a certain extent. And yep. I think that really helps out with just creating like a decent place to come to work and make a decent living. Right? right.
0: Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I can see that. I I understand that maturity process too. I I think that I I relate to what you say about having the ego and wanting to be you know when it went well, you know like. I wanted it to be my name on it, but uh I think that there's a lot of value in saying even if you were the sole driving factor to let it be somebody else's name that, that is on it
1: well yeah I mean because <clears throat> when you do fail and if you have an ego, <laughs> then people are gonna really relish that you did mess up and a little bit yeah right they're
0: like oh well, yeah that deserves him right <laughs> he deserves it right yeah
1: <laughs> i I heard a quote the other day I said when you win say little when you lose or when it's a sorry it was when you lose, say little. When you win, say less. Yeah. Exactly. I think Matt Hughes said that. He's in the UFC I saw on that. I was like, that's a good way to kind of, you know, not brag or whatever. So, that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: You know, then as, as a leader and an owner, it's also um, when your team fails, you just own that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, yeah. There, to a certain extent. Yeah, Absolutely yeah you know it's' it's ownership that you have to take on those projects and things that do go south but I do think that and that's what I actually like about my job to a certain extent is I just really like working now there's been people don't get me wrong there's people that you bring onto your team and it doesn't work out let's say right and and that's okay, but I think that we've built a great team in our organization of people that are fit together and work together really well which i that's one of the things i'm I'm the most proud of i think
0: yeah, I love that. Well, and a team will work well if you or allow them to do what they need to do and you you own the things you need to own and um it took me a long time to understand that really my job was really to keep the heavy stuff from rolling downhill. Yeah. I was I was pretty bad about uh letting the stress roll onto the shoulders of my my workers and I that was just not good management. Yeah.
1: One thing I've noticed too is like the people that I work with don't actually need the validation of like, Hey, good job. Like, right. It's just like, they, they just don't want to be criticized is really more or less not criticized. Like they take criticism well, but it's more, more or less a thing of they don't want to be micromanaged perhaps. Right. And I think that that's one of the changes that you're kind of seeing in the, in the workforce across the country is people don't want to be micromanaged and told every little thing to do. And some people don't actually like to be heard or be told they've done a good job either. A lot of guys on my team that I work with don't like that, which is kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that is?
1: I wonder if they don't, they don't do it for that. Maybe they do it just for themselves perhaps to, you know, personally.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking about this. I was having a conversation with my daughter about um, the idea that it's, she would just like flex and not to be micromanaged in her career. And it's, it's, um, And she'd be much happier, but that's not the way her boss rolls. And so it's, um, I think that's, you know, we could, that's one of the things we can do. Maybe we can't offer better financial contribution for whatever reason. But I think there's a lot more value than we pay attention to. Because at the end of the day, if you make the conversation about money, it it just never lasts. I mean, you get the raise, but it'll always be unfulfilling. (coughs) But if the workplace is fulfilling, everybody wants to do good work. I don't I don't think anybody leaves their house and thinks, I want to do a crappy job today.
1: No. I, I mean, I, the other thing is, too, kind of going back to what I had said about that our guys don't want to hear a great job. I think that we, we tell them, we, you know, at a certain point of, like, how much validation does somebody need, right? And I think when it's not genuine, then I, I that's where I think people don't particularly like it. They want to genuinely know they've done a good job, but not hey, great job today.
0: Yeah, you know? I love that. That's exactly right.
1: I think that especially in today's, like the workforce that we have demographically, right, culturally, I think people like just genuine, genuinely knowing that they've had a bit of fulfillment at work to a certain extent in their career and they can build on it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that. And so it's our job to ensure that we're, we're fulfilling and understanding kind of what they need. Not every job can be 100%. I mean, there's just jobs that... You just have to grind for a Yeah, minute. yeah, you um, do. It, there is, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of work. But um, you also have to be able to figure out how to mix all that in that it makes it so they can sustain grinding.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So maybe that brings us back to training. What's your, how do you think about training and, and raising people up and mentoring people? man that's a that's a heavy question tim (laughs) If if you have the magic answer i want to hear it
1: with training in terms of aspects of i guess when we talk about training i'm just curious what you what your thoughts are on the on what aspects of training specifically i suppose well so
0: i think maybe overall as a philosophy so we have to understand now that our workforce is largely untrained, particularly in the millwork industry. And that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in this, in this podcast is like to get the message out. Hey, we're not bringing people up. It's not like a skilled trade, like, it, it is a skilled tr- trade, but it's not a trainable trade. Like we're doing like plumbers do and electricians, yeah. et cetera. Right. So sure. we don't have apprentice programs. We don't have any of this. So we're just bringing people in off the streets. Sometimes <laughs> they've got, they've got uh, sometimes they've got some sh- workshop training, but they don't. So it's that. And then it's also mentoring maybe even in life skills, because sometimes it's entry level people that they're just not manage their lives well. And that is consequently
1: why they fall out. Yeah, it's that's a tough one because I again I, I try to I'm passionate about I guess all aspects of manufacturing. Light manufacturing perhaps, like right, For what we do. I think the what you try to do is not approach people and, and you can't be insultive, you know. I think mm. that there's been people that I've worked with in the past um that let's say have trained me, right? And it's one of the reasons that I think I am how I am is I've always took the approach of, I want to be the opposite of this guy because he was, you know, offensive to a certain extent. Right. And I think there's sometimes where people come into your organization and you got to realize they don't know what, you know, right. And that's got to be really driven. You got to think about that quite a lot, but in the same instance, I, I, you gotta, you gotta somehow create that curiosity that, that you have as a leader, let's say in your organization, not me, but somebody in, in that position. And, and you got to try to, you really just got to try to get them to become curious and care about that. Like from a machining standpoint, like I, I heard the other day, it's like something you got to appreciate tolerances. Like you got to really care about five thousandths of an inch and right. like be passionate about, I oh man, you can feel it on the wood or something or see it, you know, and then translate that in the, into the product perhaps from, from a, from a perspective of, it's just, I don't know, man. It's, that's a tough question. It really is. I, I don't know if I really know the answer.
0: Yeah, well, I, I see that you, you have to have a culture of training and, and mentoring and bringing people in. And I also think that there's also a, a bit of coaching. I, I found it. I needed to coach myself up a little bit. When you bring somebody in, it's like, look, dude, you take this board, you put it in, and you push the button, okay? That's not coaching or training No, no it's, not. it's it's and you, you've not explained why because even those simple instructions really may not be simple to somebody because you've not said okay it goes in this way because and this is that you, you explain the whole big picture then they understand all right I put the board in this way I push the button um, so there's a lot of that that I, I think that many people shop owners are, are guilty of saying well this is obvious well,
1: it's not obvious that the person hasn't been doing it for 30 years. No, definitely not. It, yeah. it it kind of makes me circle back to like, when I was in high school, I took a draft, I took draft shop class. We took shop class and I don't think the high school I went to, well, they tore it down and, um, and they put a new one up of course. But I think I, a couple of years after I had left high school, the, they, I had heard that the shop class like went away, I think. And. I remember in that shop class we did mechanical drawing with a paper and pencil. Right. And, and, uh, it's funny because when I started getting into like, you know, doing CAD work it's like, this is really similar. (laughs) It's just on a computer, but like some of those early like CAD drawing by hand with like a scale and a T square, those translated to that. So I think again, just getting down to the basics. So I think from a training perspective, I think people get overwhelmed really easily, especially when you bring them into your facility and you're like, Hey, I've got this piece of equipment and it's, it looks, it's a lot to digest when they see it. Yeah, for sure. And so I think you got to break it down piece by piece for them. So it's more digestible, right? Yep. Absolutely.
0: I think that the whole culture thing. So how do you think feel about say giving people freedom to choose how they want to say, okay, here's what I need to have done. And then you do it how you want to do it.
1: Oh, that I, there's, there I, I don't like that because I think that some people like to get into the mode where that this, oh, it's always worked for me like this. It's like, but have you considered this? Have you, have we considered all these things and not just for the sake of considering things, but just generally trying to just know the best approach to do something. Right. But it's hard to go up to somebody and say, Hey, I've got this piece of equipment. I just really, you know, you can do what you want on it. You know right there, there's a hard aspect to that if you're doing stuff freehand with a table saw and a miter saw it's like maybe you could apply it there perhaps i don't know
0: yeah i suppose that's true <laughs> I, I get that but yeah it's i guess to me it's the kind of a, a an idea and a notion that you you give people flexibility within their workspace to the extent you can and and what for what you're doing in many regards like you know you're running an automated storage and retrieval system it's not like right Run it however you wanna run
1: it. Right, yeah, there's (laughs) rules. I I actually, saw. I was, um, a friend of mine recently went to Egypt and he came back and he was going on and on about how bad the traffic was. And we were with a a customer and the customer that I was with was a very sharp lady. And she uh, was listening to my friend's story about the traffic and she had made, she made this really profound statement about the traffic and she had said that the traffic in Egypt is really inefficient. Um, because they don't, there's no rules. So people just do what's convenient for them. And I started thinking about that from, from our own business perspective. And it's like, if I want to do how I want, it might actually not be, it's, it, it could not be efficient. It might not be efficient for somebody else. And then, then you have inefficiencies all in your business. So you, the constraints actually Um, From a training perspective, constraints actually probably do create efficiencies to a certain extent. Exactly, there's a reason why you're doing things a certain
0: way. It's you know it's the same principle you have with your children. I mean, they actually thrive with rules. Yes, you know they say they don't want them, but it's it's freeing to the mind to have rules that you can follow, and you don't have to think about it. You're just like, okay, I'm going to do this, and and sometimes you can say, well, this rule is bunk because yeah but you can have an intelligent discussion about it you're just not willy-nilly saying well today i'm gonna do it this way and tomorrow i'm gonna do it this way yeah. and, sure. yeah, Absolutely. It, and and that really is the key to manufacturing success particularly an automated plant is like it has to flow a certain way exactly the same way every time and you've done your best to take out human air and all the things you can that's my famous thing to say is like we have to control what we can because if there's so many things that are going to go wrong that we can't control. So, and that made me nuts, right? It's like, how are we not even, why are we not controlling this? We can control this, right? Yeah. Ordering on time, all those things, managing our inventory.
1: I think too, from a training perspective, um, I think as, as let's say management or leadership, um, I think when you bring people in, you have this expectation that you're going to build it just brain dump on somebody and they're going to be able to absorb everything like that. And I think from a training perspective, you almost have to break it down. I think it's the karate kid or something, you know, it's like, you got to hang up your coat 10,000 times and then you just get into that habit. And I think from a training perspective, it's almost like you have to do these things over and over and over and over again yeah. until it's ingrained in them. And it takes time. There's a time aspect that you, you have to be cognizant of as a leader that it's, they're just not, especially when it's something dynamic and complex. And the other thing that's difficult, uh, we had some consultants that, um, we had hired to work with us and they had said, Oh, we need, you guys need to make a standard operating procedure. SOP, you know, it's it's like, well, how do you take this really complex machine and put it down in this, you know, even a five pager would be not possible. You could put it in a manual that they're going to pull out, and And they're not even going to read. So it's like, I think you do need to have structure, especially with the complexity. There needs to be structured training, I think, and we're actually working on that as as a company, trying to develop that so our people can go through the. I think that people again, I have a sense of purpose. I, so one of the things we're doing is create, trying to create training with certifications and stuff like, hey Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. Certified. And here's a certificate and it means something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know styles has adopted that philosophy yeah. with their styles university because you realize that the machines
1: are nothing without the people and the education to be able to use them. So absolutely. I've been to the styles trainings. I think I've been to five or six of them. And, and you know, they're long, sometimes yeah. they're five days, sometimes they're three and you're dreading them, but you always walk away and you're like, you know what? It was worth the time and the pace, you know? I,
0: I think it's worth the time. And you know, to me, the key aspect that people overlook because they're like, Hey, can I just do the online version or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely you can. But you're missing the networking yeah, because it's because. all the conversations. It's somebody, the question somebody asked yeah. that you didn't think of, or you just didn't want to bother asking that yeah, is a value absolutely. or after hours conversations that are valuable so it goes right back to your networking so moving on i've heard a lot of people talk you know and as things tighten up and we came through just a smoking hot economy right and it just you know you kind of just i, w- I said in the last two years if people weren't making money then you probably ought not be in business it but it, it, it certainly was challenging um, because you had supply problems et cetera, et cetera. but i, I you know you hear people i hear whispers now there's just no money to be made in this industry anymore
1: do you buy that not really. I, I think that um, if the market, if the if the industry is saturated, I think it's difficult to make money in. So I think a lot of people are trying to find their 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 niche niche of markets they can serve and, and be profitable. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's the old saying, and um, you know, I I, I just don't buy that. I really don't. No. I think I think there's money to be you know, and it, but I think that that's you know a bad approach too. If you're only doing it for the money, and <laughs> you shouldn't be doing it anyways. Exactly. You know? I because mean, any business takes more than that. Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. You want to make money. You have to make money to maintain and stay in business. But I don't think it should be your focus.
0: Right. And I think we we fall into traps of saying you look at a a tech startup that you know it's making thousand percent profit or whatever bonkers number they they're throwing around and you know reasonable profit expectations should be the expectation absolutely I, yeah. it's not
1: a sin it's not it, it the profit isn't a four-letter word right I mean you, you got to make a profit but I, I think that if you get greedy I mean that's when bad things start to happen to to a certain extent right
0: know? that you know and that also because if you start looking thinking about it just how much money can I, I net out and, and put in my pocket you're also robbing your business from the opportunity to grow
1: absolutely yeah yeah
0: big time. I mean I think you all more than any I've seen recently have, have invested and invested and invested in your business um, So what's your philosophy on that idea I mean you've embraced machinery and automation is that did that come as a result of you felt like you didn't have a choice or you saw it as a way
1: I think a lot of times what was happening with us um, was we would go, out and try to let's say take on jobs and we would possibly we'd go to take on jobs and they would we wouldn't be able to execute them as well because we needed you know we needed an automation aspect i remember i did a, a project for a client and this was eight maybe six or eight years ago and we i needed a horizontal drilling and i didn't have it i mean we had a only had like a nested router um it's like well, how, I didn't even know you could drill horizontally with a computer. To be honest with you, yeah. And I thought that the I thought that something like that was really expensive. Um, so we started looking into it, and we started adding that capability so that we could. And a lot of it was to compete because there are there are competitors that are large that have capabilities. So we were we wanted to add those to our arsenal of of, of tools, right? So it was a means to the
0: end, but you've experienced then added benefits, I would assume, right? Of just being fully functional and flexible.
1: Yeah. I think from an automation standpoint too, when we, we, I always tell people, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe it's not full automation, but we're trying to augment our people to a certain extent with. So for example, we have a piece of equipment that we recently acquired in the last, it's actually been five years that, stores material automatically, right? And stacks it and keeps track of the inventory. But to be honest with you, it's like, who really wants to do that? Right. I mean, nobody, (laughs) some people don't really want to do that job. You know, it's, 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 it's an arduous task. It's kind of, it's kind of mindless to a certain extent. So you're jobbing that aspect of it out to an automated piece of equipment that can do it. And so there's been a lot of that too, just because sometimes people just don't want to do those jobs. Right and because they don't want to do them, they're not going to do them well. Right. So you're
0: then going to end up with miscounted inventory, damaged, yep. slow pace of work, all the things that you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting I am, um, you know, in, in running a plant, I would um I would have probably thought 5 7 years ago like that's a ridiculous investment. There's no way, right? I mean, just get the forklift and and then if you actually you took the time to figure out how much time you spend doing that task, you know, pulling a board,
1: keeping track of it, bring it to the machine, it's pretty insane. It really is. And the damaging of the material too that does happen. Right. Somebody run and, and myself included, I've done this where you, you hit the bottom the bottom board on the stack with the forklift and split in half or whatever. Exactly. So yeah. you know, you're saving that aspect of it. So that that's always important. But um yeah, I just I haven't met anybody who wants to come in and be like, I just want to, I just want to keep track of the material, (laughs) right? You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the famous question I always had was like, Hey, how much three quarter inch double-sided melamine do we have out there?
1: I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at the wood from the side, it kind of all looks the same too. Right. Yeah. So you're looking at a stack and you think it's this, this is the material. I'll tell you what though. We would always, when before we had some of these, you know, automated pieces of pieces of machinery, every time we would need a board, it was always on the bottom and the very back. Every time, and you were always digging it out. Exactly. So
0: yeah, and it was always interesting too. It's like, well, you if you have sent somebody out to count, right? They come back and I'm like, well, how can that number be thirty sheets different than the number we should have based on the material that we should have used, right? What's happened? I don't know well just it's gone i don't know what happened you know so they're not keeping track of inventory properly all those things it's uh
1: yeah and it's t- i mean it, i i i make the same mistake i will go out look at a stack of wood and say well that's three-quarter mdf it's like i come back in well it's not actually it's a three-quarter mdf and one side of its uh white melamine yeah and i you can't see it from the side so. right exactly
0: so it's understandable. It's not to blame the workers. It's right. just you know, let's just take the task that we let's yes. control what we can control yep. by doing that. So, I mean, that to that extent, the automation is a big benefit, and when you weigh it out over long term, it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I would say, you know, some will say, "Well, my shops, we're not, we're never going to be that big." I I would argue that you could you can
1: be a five man shop and benefit. I I I you could be I, I know a guy who's a three man shop who has one and um, I think that he's benefited from it. I th- I think you benefit of it from you know what we had talked about earlier in terms of inventory management and just I know I got a guy, guys say well we just cut MDF well but you cut MDF half inch MDF three quarter you cut five by eight you cut four by eight so you're you're not just cutting one board you're cutting different boards right exactly so. I yeah. think there's benefits to it. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. It's actually an easy ROI to prove big time. Yeah. So we talked about culture a little bit and we've talked about, maybe we've talked about in a roundabout way of work ethic. I mean, I think that the the idea of people and the way they choose to work and what their work ethic
1: might be has changed.
0: Um, you think you can instill work ethic
1: Well, it's, you know, the old saying is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. (laughs) So, I mean, you're never going to, you're never going to demand someone to be the way you want them to be. It's not going to happen. And you're going to beat yourself up trying to, to get them to that spot, you know? So again, I think you try to inspire people. Right. And, um, and one of the things I, I remember years ago, I met a gentleman, um, in Ohio who had a company and we went to see him. And he came into the office and he was covered in sawdust and he had a really cool facility. And I was like, this guy's the owner and he's covered in sawdust. I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. So I've, we try to maintain that a little bit in our company. Like we're on the floor. We're with the people. We're, we're going to work with you guys to, And I think that I, I hope that helps inspire them.
0: You well, know? you would think yeah, I always, my philosophy was like, I'm never going to ask somebody to do something. I wasn't willing to do myself. Right. It doesn't mean it's the best use of my time to sweep floors all day, but right. if that's what it takes some days to, to help something get along, then you just do that.
1: Yeah. I and mean, then sometimes it's therapeutic too, to sweep. Floor, <laughs> <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. It's like, you got to be willing to go out and do the same work. But you know, it's, it's easy to get in an ivory tower and stay inside in the air conditioning when it's hot and make, you know, but you can't, I don't think that's a good strategy, but, nope. but it's, it you know, it has its time and its places.
0: It, it does because you have to do what you have to do yes, to run the business. Right. But at the same time, you also will lose the pulse of the operation. Yeah. If you, if you've done that yeah. for months on end, if you, because it does change and things are happening and things yeah. are said, and you just really need to be in touch with that. Big time. Yeah. So, you know, maybe to that end, it's like um it took me a long time to figure out that when you understand somebody just isn't going to be a good fit for whatever reason. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they're just not a good fit. They're great. But I would say, oh, I kept trying to see like something in them that I wanted them to be or maybe glimpses of it. And I would just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And it's like as soon as you realize that, my philosophy was just be done. Yeah. You're doing yourself a favor and
1: them a favor, um, but it never gets better. Do you agree with that? I agree with that completely. I, and I agree with you. It's like, it doesn't get better with, with, with people and it's never going to get better if they're not going to fit in. And that's okay. And to your point, you're doing them a favor too. Yeah. By saying it, it you know, this isn't the great depression, right? So there's, right. there's jobs out there. Exactly. I mean, it's not going to work out. So I think people are going to find another job pretty easily. Yeah. So, Sometimes people don't fit, don't work out. It's all right. Yeah. Just move on, right? Yeah. yeah. Just move on and no hard feelings. And, and it's, but I don't like it. I don't like to have the attitude like it's just business and you don't want to abuse people and say, no, 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 no. And, yeah, and, yeah. and belittle it's, them and, and insult them by any stretch of imagination. But it's, it's, it's like, look, this just isn't working out.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, listen, labor is not a disposable com- no. commodity and, and we've, I think historically, this industry has thought of it that way. Yeah. We cannot think about it that way if we're going to continue to thrive and develop talent. Big time. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's definitely okay to say, okay, communicate clearly with people as opposed to saying being passively aggressive to that person because you're irritated, they're not working out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. just, Just be done with it. Along those lines of talent and people, what kind of challenges do you see
1: looking forward for millwork I think the biggest I heard you know the phrase that comes to mind for me a lot is this idea of batch size one it's doing the one-offs yeah and I think that industry 4.0 which is a term that's I think thrown around a lot but not it's not digested or understood by companies yet businesses and I think that the idea of mass customization is the big challenge that we're going to see going forward, as in the millwork industry.
0: So the pushback to that, you know, and I get it on the machinery side is from customers. It's like, well, we can't automate and have batch size one, and
1: I th- and I don't know. think that's an accurate statement. No, I, I don't think it is either, because it, I think a lot of Automation. it's like, for example, there's pieces of equipment that cut the setup time down pretty far. And that's, that's always been one of the things that you always hear in manufacturing. Well, I've got setup time. So you try to eliminate and in, in you might, um, if you're doing really complex manufacturing, if you're, if you're milling, um, titanium, um, knee replacements, I'm sure they're set up to that. Right. But we're talking about what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. We're (laughs) talking about, um, woodworking and and metal fabrication, and you may not need the setup to to maybe get tolerances, right? So you can have a faster setup and there's equipment out there that can do that.
0: Absolutely. And I'd actually argue the contrary that um, the automation facilitates batch size one, as opposed to takes away from the ability.
1: Yeah. And I think software is going to drive a lot of that as well, because you're going to have to have the software to do, you got to be It's got to be highly organized. Yep. And you got to have good labels, I guess, you know, like, I mean, those are <laughs> right. things people don't think about though. It's like, Oh, what's, what's the late, what do you need a label? Oh man. But you got to have a label and Listen. it's got to have a good font too.
0: You know, uh, it, it, all of those <laughs> things, you have to have good information. I am. Um, it's, I have so many conversations with, you know, two men shop and they're thinking about introducing CNC for the first time. And and I'll say, are you going to do labeling? We have no need for that. And I yeah. say, you don't now, but you will. And you need to think about it now while you're setting everything up. Don't wait. Just do it. It's easy to do now.
1: If you're trying to pedal backwards, it's a bear. I think so. I mean, I you know, when we inter- so we introduced labeling to our shop and nobody wanted it until the label maker went down. <laughs> and then they're like, Where's the labels? <laughs> Where's the labels? <laughs> we and so we, you know, historically too, we always did a lot of pocket screws. Mm. Right. And um We've introduced dolling, right, recently. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to say introduced recently. We've actually have done dolling for like five years now. But that was a challenge, believe it or not, to introduce dolling to our shop. Because? I think that people didn't think it was strong. They didn't think it was a strong joint. Yeah. Um, they didn't. Sometimes the parts don't line up. Yep. You know, it's there's got to be a, a good fit, right? And if they don't line up, there's there was that aspect, uh, aspect of having to go kind of thinking more downstream and upstream between all of the, let's say equipment operators that we had to, you know, that was a challenge, but, but now that's the preferred
0: joinery method. Well, absolutely. I think that if you're going to get any production, it's hard to do it without dallying or some kind of assembly method similar to that versus, you know, manually lining up and and screwing things together. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about success and how do you think, or what, maybe the goal is the wrong word, but how do you feel like OCH fits into the global landscape of this millwork manufacturing community? And it's interesting because, you know, like Indiana in particular, it's like, it's kind of the epicenter, really. I mean, there is a crap ton of of wood-manufactured product
1: that come out of Indiana when you look north to south. There is, and I've learned about it recently um, myself in the last 10 years of the number of, you know, job shops that are in that industry. I don't, you know, my father always told me if you ever feel like you're important, you stick your hand in a bucket of water and pull it out. And the hole that's there is how much people will miss you when you're gone. (laughs) And uh, that's how I think about our company. I don't think that we're, you know, that well known. And I don't think that we'd be missed if we went out of business tomorrow. So, I mean, that's the harsh truth of it. So, but that doesn't mean that we don't try to to do a good job and try to, you know, try to do projects for clients and such.
0: Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I I get that. So, maybe a better question might be um do you have a philosophy of kind of giving back to your community because you you
1: you draw from the resources? Yeah, we do. And and we do. We try to we try to draw from the the community we're here in Grable, Indiana and we job out a lot of stuff. I think we have 20 networks, I guess we could call them sub-vendors that we work with and we try to but it's not unique. To, it might be unique to the woodworking industry maybe, but I don't think it is. I think that larger companies if they have the ability to do it within their communities are, but it's kind of like what essentially what the automotive industry did too. Right, you know, up in up in Detroit where you know, Ford is and GM and all those, they there's tons of sub shops that are OEMing parts to you know, to the to the end user.
0: Oh for sure. I mean there's been careers and established companies that continue to thrive that yeah. are as a result of that. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's exactly right. I think in and I guess you keep coming back to that and and I don't want to miss the point that shops should not forget the idea that you can work within your community. And I think of. so many shops fall guilty to say, well, I'm just going to keep it all to me. Yeah. I but think you're, you're, yeah.
1: you're limiting yourself or, or, or jobbing it out to, you know, it, it, and I think it's going away, but offshore manufacturing yeah. is, is, and that's, I think going to be the other challenge for our industry too, is I think that in my opinion, I think globalization from things that I've read is, is going to trend downward. I don't think there's going to be as much globalization. So I think we're going to be seeing more of a North American centric model of of trade. And I think that we're going to have to build our manufacturing base is going to be another challenge that we're going to have.
0: I think that's exactly right. I mean, I don't know enough to speak intelligently about say China and, but I I do know that many shops, you know, large shops, you know, they, they might've even bought, you know, cut products from China just because it was cheaper. Um, absolutely but I, I see that increasingly more of a thing of the past and I think it could come just cease to exist and we better figure out how we're going to actually manufacture these products at a price point that we can actually be
1: competitive with absolutely yeah and that uh, that's again back to you know what our challenges we see and I think that's definitely one
0: maybe as we kind of just enter this final phase I've got a couple interesting questions for you or maybe not so interesting, but I always
1: like them i I, I mean, I, I saw one of the questions you had was your favorite woodworking tool.
0: Yeah, I'm getting to that.
1: Okay, that's
0: you want to have it. What's that? You want to have that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think my my favorite woodworking tool is a pot and Rail five axis CNC machine. Okay, I think it's a Swiss Army knife of machinery. Yeah. So, so that's the one that you couldn't live without. I couldn't live without it. No, we uh, and I think that it's it's a favorite in our an organization by our, our all our staff members. Is that right? Just
0: because there's essentially nothing
1: you can't do. I think there's so much flexibility from a prototyping standpoint that you can go up to the machine and, you know, just make quick changes to parts and things. It's pretty fun.
0: It's a cool piece of gear. It's an expensive piece of gear. It
1: is, but is it? I don't know.
0: Well, this is the question. <laughs> I know, and it's, uh, yeah, don't get me. I get, I get excited about, you know, it's it's really not that expensive if you consider that a... Uh, it's going to earn you money, right? But it's a, um, you know, relatively speak, versus sure. say just a standard little nesting machine. Yeah. It's, it's a relatively expensive piece of gear. And, and many would say, oh, I could never use it. Yeah. Um, I would say that you could probably figure out ways and, and your business grows to fit and
1: use the machinery. Yeah. I will say, I think there's a big movement too. And in, in, I don't know if you've heard of the, they call it the maker movement. So people have the ability now to buy, um, little CNC machines that they can put in their garage. Oh, right. Like a two foot by two foot yeah, machine. yeah. No, yeah and I've they seen, can do yeah. signs. Yeah. They can make coasters and they have like, I think that's a huge movement that I think a lot of these guys that really enjoy that. Um, They're the kind of guys you want to try to grab up to work for you if you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they have that, like they're doing that on their own. They have that passion already, which I think is pretty big. Yeah. So
0: they're understanding the power of a piece of gear yeah, and, and utilizing it to its peak efficiency. And so if you can translate that skill set to your organization, there's yeah, real value there. There is. There's a
1: lot of value. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool.
0: So what do you focus on when you're not working?
1: Uh, I, you know, growing up in the industry, like I said, my father started this company when I was very small. Yeah. It, it's been the center point of our dinner conversations as long as I can remember. Yeah. So it's part, it's a big part of our life. Yeah. Really. I mean, that's it. I don't have a ton of hobbies. I, this is, I, I enjoy this and I do this quite a lot. Okay. So it's we're always thinking about that. So you're fully immersed. Very immersed. Yeah. yeah it's, okay. Uh, it's uh, it is very, is we're very immersed. And it's something that I think is just kind of, I don't want to say it's who I am by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's, I'm not this job, but yeah. it is something that, is a big part of our lives absolutely
0: yeah yeah And i see that you know you call me just like hey man i'm just trying to figure this out and it's always something like i haven't thought about it that way and uh yeah so you're you're definitely deep very deep it. yeah. yeah it's uh i wouldn't wish that on it, just everybody
1: but <laughs> well <laughs> so. it
0: there has to be a passion for it if you're yeah. uh, if you're that deep into it yeah i appreciate that so uh do you listen to music
1: yeah i do i try to i listen to a lot of different music yeah I what do mean, you what's on your playlist currently just anything i yeah. mean um it's funny um i was talking to my grandmother the other day and she was you know typical cliche grandma all music is just noise she says <laughs> it's like what well, did your I my response there was like did your parents say that to you and she said, Yeah, they did actually. <laughs> but I was like, there, There's so much music that's available now because she really liked Johnny Cash, you know? Mm. And you how, look. How do you not, by the way? Exactly. Yeah. You got to. Right. But yeah. there's like little subgenres of musicians, especially with like the equipment's available. There's 20 year olds, 15 year olds, 18 year old kids that are making you know, like their own rendition of Johnny cash music. Oh yeah. You can get it on iTunes Yeah, exactly. or Spotify or whatever you choose. Yeah. And and that music's available and it's not pop. It's not, it's, it's that genre that she likes. Unfortunately, she doesn't have the means to access it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I get that. But you know, it's interesting. The whole music industry is like a whole thing. We could do a whole, I mean, there's podcasts about that, right. But it's, um, you know, that all shifted. And I was just hearing a statistic the other day where, um, like I forget it's like a remarkably high percentage of music sales now is back to vinyl. Yeah. yeah we have, ne- but, but the
1: unfortunate thing about that is I think it's like, it's digital to vinyl. Right. So it's not actually, it's like fair. It's not actually real vinyl. We had a guy that worked for us and he would always argue with me about that. Like, like he collected the old ones. Cause I think they recorded them on vinyl.
0: Yeah. Right. Or
1: <laughs> analog right in yeah, some yeah, fashion.
0: Exactly. And then it, there, there's definitely a different, Thing it didn't have the
1: screeches and the the, 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 the clacks maybe right that comes yeah. with like an authentic vinyl record but there's
0: a, there's a there's a sound spectrum and I don't even know what the right technical words are but there's a feel and a warmth you get from just the vinyl itself which is interesting yeah. but to me it speaks more to the idea that our a, a new generation is understanding that. Music isn't, it's just not a button you push on your phone. There's, there's an immersive quality to it that you want to be aware of. Yeah. And I, I, I really lament the idea that albums have gone away. I mean, yeah. they're still being produced, but the, the consumer in the consumer's mind, we're not buying albums and we're not listening to them as a group. And, uh,
1: yeah, maybe <laughs> you're not that set. <laughs> no, not really. I,
0: I miss that. I really do. And I, cause it's, it's a story. It's, I miss that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so how about reading? Do you read? I do. I'll tell you. I um I, I heard I heard a gentleman say that uh the way he reads has changed in his life and it it, it he looked at it from like it's vanity metrics to brag about what books he've read. Mm. So like he reads differently now where he'll kind of skim maybe. Oh. Uh, and kinda, like especially some of these books like the reading level is pretty low, right? So you can kind of skim through them pretty quickly. Yeah. But I do, I mean, I'll tell you there's some really good woodworking or woodworking book. So there's one, uh, I don't know if you read Factory Man at all. No. So it's about, um, I think it's the uh, Bassett family. So one of their sons, um, it's actually a story about how he brought a ton of manufacturing back for the Bassett family. Okay. And it so- was, it was really pretty decent. It was years ago when I read it, but I, it always stuck in my mind. And one of the ways he did it was he did it through gaining efficiency. So he could actually compete with offshore was like his drive. Mm. Cause that was, you know, and again, as things change, as the, you know, the onshoring continue, or as as we start to onshore things, that's kind of the term, right? Having to gain these efficiencies within a, within a company. um, And how do you do it? Right. And I think it's high organization. Right. And you got to have that because if you don't um, it's waste. And then again, you got to make money to stay in business. (laughs) So if you can eliminate a lot of that waste, it's huge. Yeah. So we can't waste any resource,
0: whether it's labor, material, any time, all those things. Yep. So so it's almost like
1: getting that labor or that material to, I think, go directly to the end product to, you know what I mean? Like, like for us, again, when we kind of circling back to software, um, nesting software, right? Like how much off cut are you producing? Right. And kind of looking at that and, yeah, maybe your maybe your thought pattern is my customer pays for that. My customer pays for the offcut, but does the customer pay to throw it away? Why do you want to throw it away? No. And maybe they don't. Maybe they use it on another job or whatever. But I, I think that software can kind of help drive a lot of that, optimizational stuff too that needs to happen.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We keep we keep hitting that uh, software <coughs> idea, and it's um it's a fact that we all need to be in touch with that. It. It's not going to go away. No. And uh, we better embrace it. How about food? What kind of food
1: makes you happy? Over in our area um, where I'm at, there's a huge um, Amish food is really big in this area, right? So fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and burnt butter noodles, but I will literally eat anything. Yeah. Um, so I have no problem with any types of food.
0: Same. I get that. Yeah. I don't discriminate when it comes to food. It's just <laughs> as long as it's good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered quite a bit. What did I miss?
1: Man, I I don't know. Yeah, man. I don't know. I think think we've covered quite a bit, I guess, in terms of, you know, I think uh, people that are going to listen to this, I'm hoping they can take some things away from our conversation about, you know, people and technology, I guess. Yeah,
0: I, I think they will. I think there's a lot of value here in this. And, man, listen, I'm a fan. I appreciate
1: your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, appreciate your time as well. It's yeah. been fun.
0: Cool. With that, I'm going to sign off. And so um, I said this, and in, in, uh, I'll explain it again so people are starting to catch on to this. I say it to my 10-year-old boy every morning. It's be kind, work hard, and take care of mommy. There you go. So that's how I'm going like to sign it. off. There you go. All right, cheers. Thanks. <laughs>